0: You're listening to the M6P M6P with with Eric Leewald and Julia Leewald.
1: right this is the m6p a comic book podcast you can go to our website at vm6p.com uh we are on twitter at the m6p you can email us at m6ploc at gmail.com
2: you can also hit us up on facebook under the m6p we're also on instagram youtube and all those other fun social media sites under the m6p and we'd also love for you to be a part of our show by gives, giving us a call at 616-755-Tina, leave us a message and we'll play it on the air. Uh,
1: we are sponsored by dcbservice.com, Discount Comic Book Service, the place on the internet to go and pre-order all your single issue books, pre-order them 2 weeks in advance, 2 month I'm sorry, 2 months in advance so that you can get 40% off your Marvel tito- titles. You uh, it's the best it's the best deal on the internet. Shipping is fantastic. It comes better than Amazon Books. It's, uh, they rarely make a mistake. If they ever do, their customer service is phenomenal. Do it. DCBService.com.
2: We're also sponsored by Community Retail Partnership. You can hit them up for all of your Office Depot needs at CRPSavings.com. And we're also sponsored by Michael Webb Solutions. For all of your internet needs, check out michaelwebsolutions.com. And we're also sponsored by The Marvelous Box. The Marvelous Box is a blind box subscription service containing only the best Marvel graphic novels. For $25, you get over $100 worth of Marvel graphic novels shipped directly to your house... And it's really awesome. For the December box, which uh, one shipped today and more will be shipping in the coming weeks, every box is guaranteed to have a Marvel Epic Collection. So right there, is a, in and of itself, it's worth the $25 for the Marvelous box.
1: That's impressive. Everyone shipping this this go-around, you said, is going to have an, one of the Epic Collections?
2: One of the epic collections and the epic collections run between thirty-four ninety nine and thirty-nine ninety
1: nine. Goodness. Are you stealing these things? How are you getting these things? That's amazing.
2: That's, it is true. I that's why I was in Georgia. I was stealing graphic novels.
1: From where? From who?
2: Um some bum, some bum had all these boxes of epic collections and I janked them from him. <laughs> <laughs> We are so excited to have Eric and Julia Leewald with us here on the M6P today. Hi, guys. How's it going?
0: going great out here. Yeah, good, Jared. Thanks for having us on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you guys are out in California. How's it it out there?
0: It's ridiculous. It's 78 degrees every day and sunny.
2: And
3: if we avoid the fires, which we've been able to blessedly avoid so far, it's it's beautiful. It's not December, but it's beautiful right now. (laughs)
2: Well, I won't tell you about the snow that's here, then. So, uh, <laughs> well, thank you again for having this interview with us. We are so excited. Uh, tell us about, tell us about who, who exactly are you? Why, why would we have Eric and Julia Leewatt on the M6P? What are you guys known for?
3: Well, funny you should mention. <laughs> um, I'm Julia Leewald again, and i uh, been writing in uh, TV animation and live action for a number of years, more than I care to admit, but but Eric's more comfortable for with a that. Life,
0: a life, lifetime career in uh, TV uh, animation, some live action, but what uh, your listeners will probably be listening for is the fact that uh, we were involved with the X-Men animated series in the 90s from the day it started till the day it ended.
2: Wow, wonderful! That's exactly why we had you on. You're right. <laughs> well, so for for all of our fans that you know that love the X Men animated series, but you know, as soon as the last episode aired, you know, where what have you guys been up to for the past 25 years, 20 years?
3: We've been very lucky uh, in that we've been able to to ma- maintain a career out here uh, doing. Uh, writing for j- writing we just we just adore writing and and uh, show running and we've been very fortunate to be able to do to do that Yeah, it's,
0: it's usually either we get uh, uh uh hired to do to run a show like i did for x-men or like julia did soon after that uh, around that time for skeleton warriors for cbs or we get to write uh uh scripts for friends that are running their shows and it's it's very much piecework. It's it, uh, you never know from one job to the next when the next phone call is coming. So it's a little bit unnerving as far as you know <laughs> uh, settling in a community and raising a family. But it turned out really nicely for us. There's a series you guys would know like that we did afterwards: uh, Mummy's Alive, RoboCop, Alpha Commando, um, and and uh, for Street the- Fighter, the animated series.
3: For the younger set, uh, this year, for example, uh, did a La La Loopsie on Netflix <laughs> and Lego Friends. So we've been fortunate yeah, to keep busy the whole time. Yeah, you got,
0: you got to, if you want to keep busy, you ha- you have to be able to write the whole spectrum of different kinds of shows. So yeah, we've, we've been very young. When we met at Disney just before X-Men, uh, my favorite show writing there was Winnie the Pooh, which is not what you'd figure from the X-Men Street Fighter Robocop guy, but, uh, that, was, I thought, the best characters of all the Disney shows. Julie was the number one uh, Rescue Rangers writer there. She did 14 episodes of uh, Chippendale's Rescue Rangers when we were at Disney.
2: Wow, so you guys have kept really busy with a variety of, of not just, you know, superheroes or, or, or um, you know, preschool. It was kind of all over the place with what you guys have been working
3: on. When you put it like that, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, to, all, to us, it's always just a, Uh, a story writing challenge and we were people the last two big jobs we had one was for a company in singapore we did a series called uh that we ran a series called dream defenders which is now available on i think hulu and amazon i know it's available on amazon
3: and it was the first 3d um produced
0: in 3d 3D, yeah 3d cgi show it's kind of a middle age i mean you know not really young not it's 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 an adventure show but it's it's younger than X-Men. Uh and again the Singaporean people are wonderful to work with um but this, the the things are really globalized the last couple of the last shows we've worked on have been for Chinese companies. Mm-hmm. Um and they're just learning how to do it over there. They they have obviously thousands of years of history of types of storytelling but there really hasn't been much animation or tv coming out of say China, Singapore, uh, that part part of Asia that has Japan, but uh, places like China are just learning how to do it. So they're reaching out to Hollywood and we were lucky enough to get some of those jobs. Wow,
2: that's awesome. That's,
0: that's a very you're just kind of all over the place guys. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 wherever they're hiring. There you go.
2: So you also, so I I mean, my goodness, we might have to just have a second podcast just on the rescue rangers. That's so cool. I had no idea. All right. So, so we have, um, you know, we have listened to all the interviews that we've been able to find that you guys have been doing uh, the past month or two to promote previously on X-Men, the the new book that you've got out. And we're going to get to the, the book later in the show. But listening to all those and and all those questions, we feel like you got a lot of behind the scenes stuff like about (laughs) development and and um, some of those things. So we put out a call to our friends on our Facebook page and our listeners on our podcast and said, give us your fanboy question. Tell us the nitty gritty of what you want to know from Eric and Julia. So those are kind of the questions that we've got for you. Are you are you guys all set and ready for some of those?
0: All set, Jared.
3: But with the caveat. Yeah. That <laughs> it is, it's been a few years, so if, if we don't quite remember perfectly, please, please don't get too please, upset. Please, please forgive us. Yeah, please.
2: <laughs> no, no, definitely. Yeah, just some of our questions are a little bit more character centric, as you know. What, what about this person, or what were your thoughts on that, as opposed to you know, tell me about the writing process on that kind of stuff. Sure. There. Sure. So uh, one of our questions is uh, about Angel Warren Worthington. And how, uh-huh. how, you know, there in the comic books, there was the original five, and, and that was not the cast that was used on uh, X-Men, the animated series. Um, so can you maybe tell us a little bit about how you decided to, to not use maybe some characters like Iceman and Angels with the original cast? Um, and then how did how did that interplay with some of the flashbacks? As the, as the scenes, as the, the episodes continued on, we would see flashbacks and it would show the original X-Men, but continuity-wise, that didn't that didn't make any sense. So we weren't sure maybe if that was part of a an art thing or was that a writing
0: thing. Uh, that was it was a writing thing, but it was it had to do with uh, when we started in '92. Um, Marvel everybody had agreed that we were going to be doing the new X Men, the ones that had, after the X Men comic had died. Uh, in 1970, after, uh, we wouldn't be doing the 60s comic, we'd be doing the 70s one, which had a very different cast. Uh, the, in, during the rebirth, it was very much planned to be an international cast with, you know, African, Canadian, uh, Russian, and uh, the, 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 70s, uh, uh, X-Men, which Len Wein and Dave Cochran got started, and then Claremont and Byrne kept going, um, had a very much more adult tone to it. If you go back and look at the early sixties stories, they're, they're younger. Uh, it, they're, it's, you know, they're, they're all like American teens kind of feel. Uh, it just was a whole different world. And Marvel told us from the beginning and all of our creative people agreed we wanted to do the post 75 X-Men. So we started doing that. And we weren't really thinking about, uh, people in the original team, um, but then we got into doing the stories with the more current characters, and we, and we thought, well, wait a minute, wouldn't it be cool to imply that, you know, 10 years earlier, you know, to show some of the original team, uh, showing up? And there was some, you're right. There's an inconsistencies in that. For things like uh, Iceman, they implied that oh he he'd been part of the team, and so people like uh, Xavier and and Jean and and Cyclops knew him before Wolverine and Jubilee and people at Rogue showed up, uh, which kind of follows a continuity. But then you have have Angel Archangel introduced a little differently. Uh, we were kind of given a, a bit of freedom. We were told when we started, you know, there's three or four different X-Men books going right now, and they, some of the histories don't quite match up. Uh, we were told, keep the spirit of the thing, uh, of, of the world, and, you know, do your best, and we'll try to keep you, know, keep you from, from stumbling and getting somebody wrong. But don't worry so much about canon details, uh, and so there were the, the thing about the flashbacks, that was mostly, uh, the people like Larry Houston, well, many of them, mostly Larry Houston and some of the artists who loved bringing back, uh, old characters and making references to characters that some of whom we weren't even supposed to be allowed to be using. All, <laughs> all the background mutants that were brought in. And Larry would like to do that to, to, for, for the sake of the fans and to boost the stories. And I was more looking to write you know, just what, what the best story was with the current characters, and he said, "No, no, no, we can, we can throw three or four of these folks in, and and you know you've got them fighting some mutants. Why don't we make them these specific mutants, uh, and that would be more fun." And so, it,
3: that worked well in that if you were a, if you would come to the show as a fanboy or a fangirl of the books, and it, and you spotted someone in the background or you go, "Oh my gosh, is that that might be the character that I'm thinking of?" If you were a fanboy or fangirl coming to the show. You could still enjoy the show and, yeah. and, and see these characters but not be thrown off yeah. by well,
0: is, is, is that Deadpool? Is that Doctor Strange? Neither of whom we had the rights to use. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's just uh, Larry drawing them in the storyboards and not calling them by their names so that the Fox and Marvel attorneys didn't see who we were using. Because if they'd seen it, they would have made us take it out.
3: Storyboards were done in pencil, and so were were presented in black and white. And he would call; they would be called out as mutant number three, mutant number four, and drawn in reasonable detail, but they weren't in color. And if you didn't know to look for it, you wouldn't realize. You might not know
0: who you're looking at. So yeah, yeah that, that was a lot of deviousness going on. Yeah. yeah.
2: Very sneaky. I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's really cool. I, and and you know, we would have never known those kinds of things just watching the show. There you go. There you go. Well so another one we've got is so we know that Storm had three voice actresses. And yep. for, for different reasons we know that one had to be replaced for this reason, another for for other reasons. But out of the three, which one really spoke as Storm to your ears?
0: You know, it's 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 hard. We both we both looked at this. We didn't uh they were all really solid and yes. we were so, at the time that all this was happening during that first season, we were so focused on everything else. We didn't just, we, you know, we'd heard 15 really good voices for 15 characters and, and we're, we're pleased that we got these. And uh, the book will tell you when we started out, the voices were really very wrong. And so we were just, we were thrilled that everybody sounded right. And so I think we were too, our heads were too deep into getting the stories done to listen closely enough to the first storm, the uh, Canadian actress who was then replaced by the American actress, actress, you know, uh, 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 and then re-replaced by the third one. By the time the smoke cleared, the third one was on there, and each one, I believe, had been asked to do Storm like the voice before. So that it would be seamless in case, you know, you had to use one and use the other and that we wouldn't be having having fans say, wait a minute, Storm sure sounds really different. Yeah. So they were trying, they were trying to sound like each other. Um, I just, so I don't really. But by, by, by the time I was listening carefully to the to the to the episodes, we were on our third storm and uh, we weren't looking back.
3: And this was back in the day, 1992, 93, 94, 95, et cetera. When they were doing the voice recordings in Canada, we were based in Los Angeles. In order to hear the voice recordings, they had to put them on an audio cassette, put the audio cassette in the mail, mail the cassette down to Los Angeles and get it distributed. In other words, there was no instant anything yes. back then.
0: <laughs> so. Yes, so we gave, we gave notes, we, we get the, uh, after they did an episode, we give notes about if we thought there were some problems or something they could redo to make it a little better. But we were not there at the original recordings with the, uh, the voice director, uh, which was a shame because we would have loved to have been. Yeah. Um, so we didn't have the experience of, of uh, uh, live recording of storm one storm two storm three that was the producer that was larry uh uh houston and then scott thomas who supervised storm two and storm three and scott would know he would have strong feelings about it um but just so everyone knows the first the first actress was just was fun. was wonderful Nikki was was great it's just uh, as you know it was a political thing we realized after the first season was recorded oh my god uh, they're all Canadian actors, and Storm is, is is white. The actress who played Storm is white, which you wouldn't think is a problem because as people, you know, uh, Bart Simpson is voiced by a, a middle-aged woman, so it's not like you necessarily have to match. But she was our only African American character at the time, and so people believed that it would come out uh, to what little social media there was at the time, and it would be a problem for the show if we were discovered. So. That's why Storm 1, who did an absolutely fine job, was replaced by Storm 2.
3: And then Storm 2 was, because it had to be done quickly, a very talented American actress here, but this all comes down to money. And the reason all the voice talent was booked out of Canada in the first place was because they have a special, it's called a buyout deal, where they are paid a little bit more up front, but they get no residuals. So...
0: It's good for, it's good for producers to save (laughs) save money. And so as soon as, uh, Iona Morris, the, the, the black American actress recorded her version, it played once. And then to save money, Haim Saban, the producer said, we are going to find a black Canadian actress to re-record this a third time. So when the show plays its second, third, fiftieth, hundredth run, I won't be having to send checks to Iona Morris. Yeah. And so that was, that was the reason they they had a third one uh, uh, signed, and we and uh, Allison uh, Seely Smith, who was wonderful, ended up coming down and having to redo what the first two had mm-hmm. done. So it was politi- racial politics and then money that made the two changes happen. Gotcha. Wow,
2: interesting, interesting story there with those two. Yes. Yeah. Now, um, so what? Uh, it, what character do you wish that you would have just got a lot more time that you really wanted to play with?
3: You know, one of the things, um, and I got to be Eric, just back up here. Um, Eric was the uh, supervising story editor showrunner for the entire five season run and helped develop the show for television. I was one of the, the writers of uh, various scripts for the show, including Days of Future Past and then Whatever It Takes. But as far as characters, one thing to take a step back and go, this was a team, this was a, X-Men's a team. And servicing any individual X-Men uh, and, and not forgetting about the rest of the teammates was a challenge as a writer anyway. Um, because you had to, everyone deserved their story. Everyone deserved to be kept track of, as it were. Um, so I... I
0: I've, Go I've, I've got a, I've got a couple I'm, I'm glad you asked this early because looking back you know we were just wrote the 76 half hours that we thought were best at the time and hadn't really thought about outside of just kind of instinctively trying to balance and give everybody some screen time, we weren't thinking about people we were neglecting and looking back obviously, everybody wanted to write for Wolverine so there's a conscious effort to pull back from that he's so dynamic a character he's easy to write for and everybody's tempted so we to keep it from becoming the Wolverine show we had to pull back and give everybody else time um i think as a supervisor i get, uh, Xavier is my favorite character and so i gave him more stories than he might have had if somebody else had been running the show um and I think Rogue and Storm had, you know, had their moments. But looking back, I think that the two characters that could have taken more exploration were Beast and Gene. I think when we, when we did Beast stories, they were really great. He was such a good character. They just immediately became deep and thoughtful and profound stories when we spent time with him. And we, tended to just do that in little bits and pieces. He tended to be more the most interesting character in somebody else's story. We didn't really get to know his background or the people he knew uh, and loved and and had relations with the way we did with uh, characters like Wolverine, except for the uh, show that, uh, Julia came up with the idea for the Beauty and the Beast show where he fell in love with the blind girl. And
3: that was then written by talented writer Stephanie Matheson. But, but we all had fun developing that particular episode yeah. because it dealt specifically with Beast seems with, to be the mutant most comfortable in his, quote, own skin, and yet he is the least able to walk down the street and not have folks stare at him because he is so other. Yeah. And yet this was the one, and but he seems to be able to handle that, and this is the one episode that explored what that... Yes. What that
0: challenge was for him. Yeah. So I think three or more, four more beast stories would have been great. And also looking back, I realized with the exception of Phoenix and Dark Phoenix, which is huge. It's nine of our half hours, but we didn't really get to spend much personal time with Jean. She seemed to be this, she found herself, uh, functioning amidst the nine, eight or nine players as an interesting cog that everybody would go to her with stuff. You know, Professor X, Wolverine, Cyclops, the other women, they would go to Jean if there was a problem. And everybody had some sort of respect for her. So she was kind of a a glue that held the whole team together. Yeah. But that's not the same as giving somebody personal stories. Mm -hmm. So I think we tended to use her in that function. And we didn't really get to know her the way we got to know, you know, Wolverine or Cyclops or, you know, or Xavier or some of the others. So those are the two I think you know, uh, had room for expansion. Jubilee possibly, um, but I, I think uh, Beast and Jean had a lot of room for stories.
2: Sticking with the, the individual characters, you know, you, you guys came up with the cast of the the main the main characters um, at the time. You know, there, the the rest of the main cast in the books consisted of Colossus and Psylocke and and Bishop. Uh, A couple others. How how did you decide to go with the the few that you went with, and not have people like Psylocke or Colossus or or Iceman on the on the final roster?
3: It was February '92, and Eric got a phone call to go in for a meeting for a show that he hadn't really been told about. But just come into Fox. We got a meeting set up for you. We're interested in having you run a show for us, and that's kind of how it works. Okay. And then the
0: night before the meeting was to take place, you get a phone call. Yeah, it's, it's the x band And I really didn't know the X-Men uh, at the time. I'd read other comics when I was younger. So I just listened a lot at the next, you know, the meeting next day where all, the, you know, uh, Stan Lee and Marvel and Haim Saban and the Fox people were all there laying out how the show was going to go. But we did, we did have a discussion there. Everybody had an interest in who should be on the team. And from my point of view, from the writer's point of view, we were just trying to find a balance. We didn't want to have, say, a team made up of of uh, uh, Bishop, Wolverine, Cable, and Colossus, you know, you know, four massive guys. I mean, they're not the same. And Beast, you want to have women with different powers. You want to have someone like Gambit, who's very different. He's not, you know, you could have added Thunderbird to that. I could have, we could have filled out six or seven massive, tough guys that didn't take crap off anybody. <laughs> and then you would have had, you know, bad G.I. Joe dialogue. It just would have been... There wouldn't have been an interaction and a contrast and a, and a dysfunctional family thrown together. You would have had just a lot of growling. So we're looking... <laughs> you know, we're, try, we're from the writing point of view, we're trying to come up with a balance. And Marvel had people they were pushing... They were pushing uh, Gambit and Jubilee at the time. They were pushing Cable also, but we all kind of agreed he felt more like a loner, like somebody that wouldn't be part of the team. Um, And so in getting the the team set, it's interesting. That day when we decided what the team was going to be, it wasn't what ended up on the show. It evolved as we were writing. That day we decided it was going to be Cyclops and Wolverine and Gambit and Jubilee and Rogue and Storm. And believe it or not, Xavier was going to be on the team, but he was going to be kind of secondary. Jean was going to be there, you know, every now and again. And Beast would kind of be a guest person. And the rest, kind of like the way, you know, Colossus or Bishop ended up being, you know, some of them would come in every few episodes. And so what happened was, as we're writing it, uh, The first third, Mark Edens and I laid out the first 13 episodes as, as one kind of one story. We realized we absolutely needed Xavier as the head of the the team. It just, the team wouldn't work without him. He was the one that was letting the world know and let the audience know what it meant to be an X-Men. It was, it was his baby in effect. So, okay, he became prominent in the way that that, you know, that the group of executives had foreseen. And then Gene also grew during that period. So, okay, well, we need her here. She's in the middle of everything. She relates to everybody. So she became central the way no one had expected. And then, of all of, all of them, Beast, who you notice he was in jail the first season. Yeah. Most, <laughs> most of the first season. Uh, that was because he was going to be this secondary character that you rarely saw. He wasn't going to be part of the main team. But the more we were writing him, the, the longer we made his scenes, the more we put him in places where we could use him, We the writers just ended up saying we're screw it. We're going to have Beast as a main character. He's just too much fun to write. He's too special and too different from everybody else to leave behind.
3: In Night of the Sentinels, we sitting here in the home office, and you getting it written. I remember the the moment when it was Beast facing a small obstacle, and uh, you thinking that well that he he would be the perfect person, the only person to perhaps. Quote, you know, some form of philosophy or poetry in that moment, like you call it a call to
0: action. Yeah, yeah. It was it? Is we've been working in animated cartoons for years and years, and you've got, you've got you've probably seen hundreds of them, and lots of lots of the action cartoons have a call, call to action. Uh, you know, GI Joe, Will, or you know, Cowabunga, you know, whatever it is, uh, it would be. Something fun and kiddish and 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 perky and loud and something that you could say on the the playground and everybody know that you're watching the show, so calls to action are part of what what we do. And I just thought of all the things the beast is such a thoughtful person. Instead of a you know single word or kiddie call to action, he might quote obscure poetry. And uh, or, or just reflect for a moment on the challenge that lies ahead and then move forward as a complete contrast uh, to what we were doing. Also, we get an awful lot of pressure to write down to kids from executives all over the place. Don't use those big words. Yeah. <laughs> and so this was kind of a, like a, a thumbing our nose at seven years of that. And so we just, OK, every time we get a chance, we're going to have the writers give Beast a call to action that is so obscure and so literary that it's going to piss off, you know, <laughs> you know it, the executives. And obviously, once it became a something that he did, kind of calling card, people started enjoying it and looking forward to it. So it wasn't it wasn't rebellion anymore. But the first season that was that was the reason for it.
2: Wow, that's wonderful. I love it. I can remember playing uh, X Men action figures with my cousin Matt. And we would, you know, we'd pick to who would be Beast, and then trying to remember what quotes we had heard on the show so that we could sound like we weren't nine and ten
0: years old, you know. <laughs> oh,
3: that's fabulous! And again, this is pre internet day. What material did you use for the the quote I was? just,
0: I just, yeah, I had, you know, like Bartlett's quotations and things. I, I'm not as well read as Beast is, so, <laughs> uh, so I, I had to dig around, and there just happened to be. An obscure British poet that wrote about, uh, uh, about uh, like keeping your feet out of danger and
3: not a sentinel.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just it, there. It's just we we would we would have it. We would have a setup, and then we just, in effect, hit the reference books to find a fun quote that fit it.
3: Reference books. Notice he's saying reference yeah, books. Yeah, As opposed to
0: this <laughs> guy. Yeah, yeah, remember, no, no, no internet, no Google. Yeah.
2: You have to go to the, the library and use the card catalog to find the yeah, you know, the exactly. quotes. <laughs> well gosh, that last that last answer had so many so many directions I could go in. But uh, <laughs> but what I want to go in was you, you you mentioned writing down to kids and how they had wanted you to write towards the younger audience. Um yep. a lot of the more recent Marvel animated adventures tend to skew towards a much younger audience. So do you think a series like X-Men the animated series would work today?
0: Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting. There's there's uh, there's two answers to it and they kind of conflict. One of them is, is that we do get the sense. We were even told this back X-Men Time, but it's it's just accelerated. We get the sense that that uh, kids are watching TV less and less uh, and starting to do other things younger and younger. Mhm. I mean, it used to be when we were 10, 12, 13, we'd be watching Saturday morning cartoons for sure. There isn't Saturday morning anymore. By the time kids are four or five, they're playing video games and they've got tablets, their, and, cell tablets and cell phones. And and there's so many other things that they could be doing that, that uh, animated television has become – Younger, all the way across the board. We get that when we're going for jobs. It's just the people that spend the money to make the shows are selling things and they're selling it to much younger children. So there's a pressure to do things younger. I don't think it's random that Marvel's doing that. I think that, you know, their people are telling them, well, we'll get better advertising if we make these shows younger. On the other side of it, everybody involved in X Men believed to a person that young kids like older, sophisticated stuff, that five-year-olds aspire to be their 10-year-old brother and 10-year-olds aspire to be their 13-year-old brother or sister and watch stuff that is challenging and a bit over their head. I mean, Bullwinkle, half the references in Bullwinkle were things that, you know, like graduate students would make about, about politics and literary history. You didn't know that when you were watching Bullwinkle. You just were having a great time and realized that something funny was going on that you might understand when you were a little older. And that I find it's like kids like to watch adult, I mean, the X-Men are adults and that's part of the problem. They're 30 year olds fighting, (laughs) fighting nasty people for their, fighting for their lives. And to make that something for little kids, I, I think, I think diminishes it. And I honestly, you know, we had huge, uh, uh, groups of, uh, like two to six year olds watching the original X-Men. We got good ratings all the way across the spectrum, which is really kind of unprecedented. Usually it was like, okay, you write something for six to 11. We've got categories down here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think six to 11 is the most popular, but there's preschool. There's, you know, uh, and but all across the board, you know, three, four, five-year-olds were enjoying X-Men. They didn't understand eighty percent of it, but I think a sophisticated show could still work if it was marketed properly.
3: And now there are so many platforms for distribution. Back then, Fox Kids was the brand new network for Nash- national. Yeah, there are
0: four places to, to to put a show basically Back now.
3: If it's TV, you had ABC, CBS, NBC, and 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 then Fox. And that was it, unless you had your local TV channels.
0: Yeah, or maybe you know, cable was just starting. Oh my gosh! But there
3: just weren't as many places to uh, to distribute that. I, I think there would
0: be a great there'd be great places for sophisticated uh, animation like this, say Netflix, right, um, or, or uh, FX channel. Just one of the more the, the places that they have sophisticated, you know, our drama series. Uh, I think there would be viewership for it.
2: Well, so, so exactly how much would it take to get the band back
0: together? So is- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people ask a lot. And when, when we did the book, we interviewed almost all the cast and the the writer, the writers and the artists and the executives. And they all had such a great time doing the show. They're all up for doing it again. Um, so, you know, a couple of them are retired. But uh, um, mostly they said, yeah, we do – you know, where's – it would uh, – uh, doing – a decent looking animated show isn't cheap. I'd say me at least $4 million to, to do a, a 13 season, a 13 episode season. But they're, you know, there's, uh, they're doing all sorts of shows right now. So it's, you know, it's not out of the question, but uh, the voices are there. Uh, the writers are there. Uh, the
3: artists are there.
0: Almost all the, the, the artists are either there or in retirement might jump out of retirement. <laughs> many of them said they would to work on it. Yeah.
3: I'll say this. So many folks have such fond memories of this particular job, and I say job, but it, uh, working on X-Men, the animated series, uh, seemed to be a sort of personal highlight for a lot of people who worked on the show, and that's saying something. That everyone can look back fondly on this. Believe me, there were challenges and fights and, and things would get hairy. But as far as looking back at this final product, there we, we all take a certain pride in it. It's it, 25 years later, st- people still look back on it fondly. I think it was very important, uh, to the superhero genre, uh, in terms of bringing, broadening the audience for the X-Men comic book at the time and then creating an audience for the billion dollar movies that came later. I really think X Men: The Animated Series uh, deserves credit for its for its part in that.
2: Oh yeah, without a doubt. You can you can still watch it today as a grown up when you saw it 20 years ago and it still works. You know you can still show it to your kids and it's it's safe for them to watch, but the grown ups like it too. You know.
3: Well, and it we we sort of teased that we were telling hour length drama live action stories in a half hour cartoon on Saturday morning. Just <laughs> The 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 stakes were real and the stories were um, were personal and 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 really mattered. I mean, you, you can look at it as an analogy for all kinds of things, whether it's um, civil rights movement or or um, the gay rights movement or any of these where you had an oppressed group of people, you know, bumping up against people who just don't like them. I mean, that's 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 rough. That's tough. And those are the stories that the X Men told.
2: Along with getting the band back together, you in, in one of uh, one of the interviews I read from you or, or listened to you, I can't remember, um, you had talked about your thoughts on a, a sixth season. And, Ooh, yes.
3: Yeah, Eric yeah, has
2: thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, you had talked about that and mentioned, you know, Psylocke and Shard possibly joining the team, and, um, but in that interview, it wasn't super detailed, and I just want to give you the platform that if you want to get super detailed, you're more than
0: welcome to here at the M6P. Okay, well, this is some clever interviewer uh, because most every, it's curious. M- the majority of people that talk to us said, "What would you've done in the sixth season?" And to be honest, we were on to the next to our next job, and it really hadn't occurred to us, you know, oh, what, to to start planning or what, what 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 was left undone or what would be the logical uh, next step for this group of characters. And there's two answers to your short and Psylocke, and Bishop question. As you may have heard in some of the other interviews, um, originally the series was supposed to stop after 65 episodes, and we wrote a big four-part story that had Shard and Psylocke and Bishop and Archangel in it. And by the end of those four episodes, uh, episode 65 was going to be the last episode of the series, those uh, five of the X-Men were going to leave, uh, and those four we're going, we're going to take their place. And so that was going to be kind of a, a, a capper to the whole series. And then you're supposed to leave to your imagination what these new four X-Men were going to be like as part of the team. So, so that, yeah, so they were in, in our heads at that time. But then when the person asked about well, what would I do since, so, since we didn't end up with them that way, they all went back, you know, Shard and Bishop went back to their time and, the others, Sightlock and Archangel, went back to work they were doing. They weren't really in my head when I was asked about what we'd do in the sixth season. Um, they'd probably become involved because we liked the characters. But where we'd start would be um, you know, Xavier's gone off into space with Lalandra because he would die if he stayed on Earth. I'm not quite sure how we cheated that. but But it was basically his death as he went off into the cosmos with his love. And the, all his X Men family got to mourn him. Got to mourn him as at the end of the series. Well, it made sense when I thought about it for five minutes that the cool way to start season six would be it's a few months later, and with Xavier gone, with the father figure left from the X Men, the X Men themselves are at each other's throats, and they're kind of falling apart as a team and as a family and they're missing him and this is the expression of how they're missing him and they hear a a distress call from Lalandra from outer space that they have to come quickly to help uh, you know or they're all doomed and so they they rush up however they manage this uh, and over the course of the season they go up they find Xavier still up there they, they all get together and kind of Find ways to put their differences aside and help Xavier save Lalandra's people, and in the process, probably Xavier dies, and they get to properly mourn him, and then they come back to Earth at the end of the season, uh, a team again because um, they the, were brought together. They were brought together through through helping Xavier and Lalandra survive. So that was that would be that was just the, the the really small outline, and that's you know that's kind of all you need sometimes to get started. Um, nobody's, nobody's offering his money to do this, but I think it's a night, nice, it's a simple, heartfelt thing that, uh, that would extend what we, the stories we told in, in a, in a nice way. And I say, since we probably start with the characters we had and then people like, uh, Bishop and Shard and Archangel and Psylocke would, would come in, uh, because we were curious to use them some more.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I just you said four million, right? That's all we gotta. We all
0: That's we gotta all give? you gotta raise. Right. And you get to you get to be executive producer if you raise the money. All
2: righty. <laughs> well, I'm gonna get to work on that four million so we can make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. So this might not be a question for you, if it's not, just say I don't know. But uh, in the mid '90s, Larry Houston gave an interview about working on an episode in which Storm was gonna go to Harlem meet Luke Cage. Etc. But but that episode never appeared, and I was wondering if you guys remember working on that, and if you do, why it never came to fruition. I,
0: I do, and this is just, it's an example of, of how we decided on stories, because we really didn't go in like wanting to uh, adapt except for three stories, except for uh, the Two Phoenix Sagas and Days of Future Past. We didn't go into any uh, Episode looking to, uh, adapt, uh, specific comic books. Uh, we took bits and pieces from the, from the lore and we generally came up with original stories. So what we had was people would pitch me stories, people, writers and people in, in, in the middle of the production like Larry, uh, would pitch me say three or four or five sentence story ideas, half a page at the most. Uh, and that was one of them. And what would happen is over the course we ended up with fifty-nine stories, some of them multiparters that we produced. Probably a thousand stories were pitched over the five years. And I would maybe and I would pick I maybe pick the two hundred uh out of that five thousand that I liked. I mean so two hundred out of the thousand that I liked, and I would uh polish them up and then I would pitch them to the twentieth century Fox and Marvel to see which ones they would agree to that we were going to do. So it kind of – everybody pitched to me. I chose the finalists, and then I pitched the finalists to the powers that be, and we picked – ended up with 59. Um, the Luke K story uh, I remembered since you wrote me the, the note about it was one that Larry had pitched to me and one that I liked and that I had pitched on to uh, – you know, polished up and pitched – to Fox and Marvel, but it's been, you know, 25 years. I don't remember why, but for whatever reason, it didn't, it didn't get the thumbs up. So it, uh, it was, and if you, I say if you do the math, there were maybe 150 stories like that, that, that the writer, the pitch person liked that I really liked that we were hoping to produce, but that, that didn't make the final cut.
2: No, no, thank you for clearing that up. That's been, um, that's been a personal question I've had since I read that interview back in the 90s as a kid and just waiting for that episode to come. Storm's my favorite, and I was like, where is this episode? So... <laughs> well, so this interview wouldn't have even happened had not this little book called Previously on X-Men come about, can you tell us kind of maybe the, the background behind what made you guys decide to go... And, and spill your hearts on what happened 25 years ago.
0: Julia made me do it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I will take credit for being a catalyst here. And what kind of happened was uh, when we, we had the good fortune here in, in our home, we had space, and when we were doing X-Men and the other shows we worked on, we tended to keep the script drafts, the storyboard drafts, and we we had space to store it above the garage and everything got filed away. So, uh, and it just sits there. Then about five years ago, I think it was, I, I, I realized X-Men was coming up on its 20th anniversary and no one was doing anything basically because the rights for X-Men, the animated series, it, it's kind of fallen through the cracks with the various rights issues that Marvel had as it went through bankruptcy and reorganization. And so no no one was going to do anything. And uh, for example, unlike say Star Trek with Paramount support or Batman with Warner Brothers support. And I sort of said, you know, Eric, we got this stuff. Shouldn't we do something? And no, (laughs) 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 Uh,
0: nah, no, don't want to do it. Don't want to bother. Yeah. Yeah. Wanted to work on current things. And they said, okay, it's it's fun to have the memories, but that's a pretty big undertaking. And, You know, we don't know publishing world very well. At all. Yeah. If, if anybody will take, you know, take this on, but she kept after me. And then we, 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 I, I interviewed a couple, I started looking into it and there's, there wasn't anything else out there about the show at all. And so we, I, I came up with a little, with a kind of summary of it and, uh, did a couple interviews with, with friends and realized it could really, be a full book and started, you know, writing the history down. And the more we got into it, the more, you know, there were three or four different publishers interested. And we realized because it's X-Men, you know, we've worked on 30 or 40 shows, uh, the two of us, but it's the one show that, that there are enough, there's a fan base out there that a publishing house is going to take the risk of investing in, in doing a book. So it all, I mean, it took a while and it took, Figuring out how to do the book since I hadn't done one before. Thousands of pages of TV writing, but book writing is a little different. So learn as I went. But yeah, that was, that was it. Is it. We had all the materials. We knew all the people. Um, although we hadn't really gotten to know the cast. That was cool. I mean, I got to, to talk or Skype with all the people up in Canada. Uh, that we hadn't really interacted with when we were doing the show. So I got to – these people whose voices I knew by heart, (laughs) I actually got to know as people, you know, doing the interview. So that was very nice.
3: And one of the things that when Eric and I met and began dating out here in Los Angeles, we met at Disney TV Animation – uh, one of the things that we each had in common was both of us were huge Star Trek, the original series fans, and seeing that in someone else, it's like, oh, you you you, you like that too? Do you know that show? And back then it took a lot more to be a geek. You had to, <laughs> you had to go online and look stuff up. You had to have really tracked this stuff down, like like audio recorded the shows back then. And But we each found we had copies of the making of Star Trek, uh paperback book. Right. And for those of us who were really inside baseball Star Trek back then, and looking back and going, there's nothing like that for X-Men, the animated series, and th- that this could be in its own small way a contribution to that that kind of uh, of um, a book, that material. We, we were fortunate enough to have hung on to the material. We had it. Um, we were fortunate enough to be able to reach out to, to folks to ask them about the book and talk about it, and no one else had bothered and it's like oh heck this now now it must be done yeah. now that we can we must
2: well, i love it so, i love it <laughs> i love it so so tell me so for our listeners who might not have the book yet what what is your what's your sales pitch why would we why should they go out and get x-men previously on x-men
3: well if you <laughs> if you understand what previously on x-men means to your heart then it's sold right there because it was one of the first and maybe I think we determined it was one of the first animated show to use um a little recap at the at the at the start of an episode to remind you of what happened previously because the stories were told kind of in a long form. Uh you they uh told over several episodes or even a whole series are. So just the title previously on X-Men hopefully will will catch some people's attention. Subtitled The Making of an Animated Series. Uh and it's it's dense. It is.
0: How many pages? Well, it's, it's 450 pages and it's, 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 it's a good read for two or three different kinds of people. The best is for fans of the show because not only do you get to meet all the people that created the show, all the actors and all the writers and all the artists who, who kept the show on track and kept it from falling apart and becoming a, a lousy show that you never would have fallen for, but you, uh, in the interviews, but you get a a day-by-day, week-by-week, crisis-by-crisis history of how the show got on the air in the first place, the years Margaret took to get, uh, and then how it survived its first kind of rocky season. Uh, it, I, many people don't realize it was supposed to premiere in, in September with Batman, But, uh, there were enough creative and production problems that was put off till January, which was really unusual at the time. Anyway, so there's behind the scenes history and dirt and personal (laughs) moments, uh, to, to, that, that's a fun read. And that, um, then a couple other things are I've got a page or two on each of the episodes giving my, Feelings about what we did right and what we did wrong and how, you know, the show could have that episode could have been better or, you know, how it turned out so well and why. So I've got comments on all the all 76 episodes. and uh, So that's that's great for the fan, uh, for the person that isn't necessarily a fan, but loves learning about how shows are made. There's a lot in this about how it got on the air about how we go, like we we're talking about before, how a how a story would get pitched and end up finally getting the green light, and then from that po- point, you know, your premise and your outline and the notes you get from broadcast standards, and all the different the way the ways that an animated show gets made. There's a lot in that if you're curious about how TV works.
2: Perfect. And, and what's the best way to get
3: the book? There are a few. Um, my our personal favorite, uh, the publisher is a house called Jacob's Brown Media. And you can just go online and it's just Jacob's Brown Media. And the front page there has previously on X-Men available for you to click on and buy it. If you buy it through Jacob's Brown Media, uh, Eric will have signed every single copy sold through Jacob's Brown Media. Yeah,
0: they came by, they came by for a couple days and I wore my wrist out. But they, yeah, it's all, they've got their hardback books are all signed by me. And, uh, they won't ship quite as fast as Amazon. I think their shipping takes three or four days instead of if you're a Prime member for Amazon. But it is available on Amazon, but then you won't, you won't get a signed copy. Um, it's available, um, but, but on Amazon, it's available three ways. It's available hardback, uh, paperback or Kindle. They're all available. And if you're
3: curious, just uh, get the Kindle free sample and
0: see if it's here. That's right. Yeah, you could just tap on the Kindle free sample and, and look at the first dozen pages or so.
3: And if that doesn't suck you in, I don't know what. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, but And then finally, internationally, which is its own. We had no idea about this going into publication, but the book <laughs> weighs over two pounds. It's big. It's a big format book, and, and it's uh, there's a lot in it. and. That evidently is really expensive these days to ship overseas, even to Canada or Mexico. So, um, what it means is, is that if if you live in England and you wanted to buy that book from, say, the publisher, the hardback, they would send it to you, but they charge you fifty dollars shipping, which which is crazy. But that's why if if I go if I go to UPS, I had to I sent about twenty copies up to the people that worked in the book in Canada. And the cheapest I could find for Canada is twenty-five dollars. It was forty dollars UPS it was twenty-five dollars, you know, uh but bo- uh, that's shipping. That's just shipping. That's shipping. Not even boxing <laughs> and handling. That's boxing. not even the <laughs> yeah. book. So yeah. So shipping was an issue. I said, Well, how are we have got fans all over the world. X-Men was a big international hit, and we're in contact with them on social media. What do they do? Well, they have an answer for this. It's available. Uh, it's coming. It's not in every country yet, but it's in a lot of countries. If you live in Germany or New Zealand or whatever, you go to Amazon Germany.
3: To your Amazon. Yeah. locally. Yeah. To your local, world. your
0: local Amazon. And there it will be. And you buy it there and they will print it locally. So it won't be, we'll have to ship it from California.
3: It'll be a softback
0: book. It, it'll be, it'll be softcover, but it'll be the full size and it'll have everything in it. Um, uh, and so that's what, you know, if if you if you live outside the country that's unless you want to pay for the shipping uh, but that,
3: but assuming you do that and you're outside the country
0: yeah we we, we had we had, we felt bad because look if if you're inside the country you can get a signed copy easily by going to the publisher
3: well so then you you get you do this you get the soft copy in your country take a picture and send us an electronic copy of it to our email address which we'll give you in a minute and Eric will sign that picture and email it back to you, so you can have your own signed version. Yeah, that's version. for the
0: international people that we felt bad about because they couldn't, you know, they couldn't afford the shipping for to get a signed copy. Just take a picture of yourself holding the book that you bought in, you know, Venezuela or wherever you are, and email it to us. Email it to us, and I'll I'll print it and sign it and scan it and send it back to you.
2: Perfect. What's the best way to get in contact with you guys and follow the latest happenings with previously on X Men?
0: We are we're, –
3: we're, it's a small operation here. It's the two of us, but we're doing our hardest. Um We have a website, and it's X-Men TAS for the animated series. So X-Men is our website. Then on Twitter, I try and do as much as I can there. We are X-Men TAS on Twitter. On Facebook, we have a new page previously on X-Men. And then if you go to X-Men our website, we've got our email addresses, the email address there at that location for folks who want to get in touch with us or, you know, find us on Twitter.
2: Wonderful. Well, Eric and Julia, you have just been a delight to interview. Thank you so very much. We could probably go on another 17 hours, but I want to be sensitive (laughs) to your time. (laughs)
1: Well, thank you so much. much. This was a lot of fun. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. All right. And until next time, this is the M6P.